I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. This week we're doing 10 questions with someone in recovery and I have my friend Carla here with me today. Carla, do you want to introduce yourself? And my name's Carla Perry and I uh, am long-term recovery myself. Uh, not as long as you, uh, but I haven't found it necessary to use anything illegal or alcohol since June 22nd of 2015, and I, too, make a difference in my community. And yes, you do. That's awesome. And maybe we'll get into that a little bit as we talk through this. So I guess just start at the beginning. Uh, why did you start using to begin with? I don't know. I think uh, I started being abused when I was like three. My cousin and I were abused together. She and I found huffing gas was a way to escape when we were about eight years old. Um, alcohol was always available, and so I would always, my parents gave me alcohol. Um, my stepdad, I think, to keep me quiet um, and to make me more submissive. Um, so it just went on from there. Any and everything that I could find to stop the, the stuff in my head uh, is why I used, because I didn't like to think or feel. So how early did you say it started, your use? Probably eight years old is when I started having gas. Okay. You know, that it's weird. I was just uh, talking to a guy who does uh, inter- uh, prevention, youth prevention, and he said that they had just uh, gone through and done a survey of kids and that the average age that a kid started using inhalants was, uh, it was either eight or nine. I think it was eight is what they said in the state. I don't know if it was the state or the county that he was looking at. And then he said that kids start misusing medication at 12 was the average age. Yeah, still mom's diet pills. Yeah. So what made you decide to stop? Consequences. And then uh, somebody told me that I was worth saving, and I finally believed them. I didn't know that I even deserved a different life. I just thought that I was just... Just quit working and the consequences behind, you know, everything. It just got to the point where I didn't know it when I went into treatment. I didn't know it until the day I got out and went seeing a lawyer. I was looking at two life sentences plus 14 years. Holy cow. So you're up to a little mischief. Uh, yeah, 40, about, I don't know, 16 pages is my background check. Okay. Probably front and back too, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So I I can tell you that I was on probation and parole for 26 years. From 1992 until October 2nd of last year, um, probation and parole actually threw me a little party. (laughs) Really? Like a going away party? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Was it green or stone? I mean, tanny or stone? Well, it was was, uh, tanny. Laura, Gail, um, Amanda, Sally, and all them over there. Yeah, they, they are actually my friends. They're super amazing people. Yeah, I, I know Sally and Kathy really well. I know some others, but Sally and Kathy I know really well. 
Like, Sally was my probation officer back in the day. Oh, wow. And uh, Kathy, do you know Kathy? I absolutely do. Okay, Kathy was actually my uh, counselor <laughs> when I went through treatment before she became a PO. Yeah. So she used to work at uh, Simmering back in the day. So so I, I've got a special relationship with them. I love Sally. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that had issues with their POs. It's and that is not yep. something that... And I had some issues with one with a couple of my POs. Yeah, one of them. Right. But Sally, I was honest with her. I had a 10-year backup, and I would have been prior and persistent. I would have done eight and a half years. And because I was honest with her, she gave me a shot when I don't think there's another PO that would have, that was working at the office at that time. Yeah, was, Kathy was instrumental in my change, too. Um, <clears throat> so I was on probation and parole from two different states. Um, well, from probation, parole from Arkansas and probation from Missouri, and then I caught another charge. And, you know, it was just Kathy putting me back in a corner, and she said, so I'm going to tell you this. this is what you're looking at if you don't do anything. Right. And she said, it's up to you. This is what we're recommending. It's not going to change. And so I went to treatment, and uh, that was the change, man. I was trying to be the martyr down there, tell everybody these you know, horror stories about what I'd done, what I'd lost, right. so that I'd scare these girls not into being me, you know. I may have lost my life, but I didn't want them to. I wanted them to learn that they could right. get the stuff. And um, it was just during a process group, and Dave asked me, so what makes you think you don't reserve, deserve recovery too? Why is recovery not something for you? And it was, I had a God account. I had an encounter. God encountered me. Like, arms from heaven actually came down, and I felt love that I'd never felt my whole life. Love to me had conditions and strings and requirements and rules. Right. This was something that enveloped me totally, and it's like he said, I love you, and you're worth saving, and the best of your life is going to be the rest of your life. I'm going to show you what happiness is. And I just broke down, and from that point, I never looked back because I knew it was worth saving. And that somebody loved me. Right. And look at you now. I was just talking to you a minute ago, and you said that you just closed on your own home. Yeah, me and God. Yeah, me and God. So it's, I I, I have to put, I've been, so I chose to be celibate too, because men seem to always be the problem in my messing up or whatever. And so that was time to get to know me and get to know God. And so I built a relationship and it's just super amazing. I don't really think that I have time for a man because it would interfere with my time with God. Right. And in order to do my job, I have to fill up because I can't give off empty. And I'm really just learning who I am for the first time in my life, what my favorite color is, what my hobbies are, what I like to do. And it's, uh, it's amazing. So I just started taking care of the little things cleaning up the wreckage of my past, and that was huge. Doing the right thing for the right reasons. Right. You know, and you got to start somewhere. You can't wait till you get enough money. You have to start with what you have. And I make barely more than minimum wage, um, but I've done it because I've been consistent, and I've been persistent, right. and I've been intentional, and I had a dream. I moved around most of my life you know everything i owned in a walmart bag and i'd get kicked out of a motel at 11 o'clock i didn't know where i was going to go where i was going to stay but i knew it was going to get high so it was the same thing principle well now i don't know what i'm going to do but i know that i'm going to own my own home so nobody can ever tell me that i can't have my dogs or that i right. can't paint this or that i can't plant that there and so i wanted stability well what i found is if you do the little things long enough 
like things fall in place. They become the big things. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, I, I, I love the word. I don't use it enough. And I've started to the last couple of days because I was talking to somebody and they used it. And I'm like, that's the word I want to use more. But living intentionally. There's something about being intentional in everything we do. Um, is what I'm doing today, what purpose does it have? Mm-hmm. You know, here's my goals, and I should be intentionally doing things that lead me closer to those goals. And if they don't lead me closer to those goals, then why would I waste my time on them? Absolutely. You know, so, and people would probably ask me now, David, why do you watch so many movies? You know what? That's intentional. That's part of my self-care. So I think self-care needs to be intentional, too, because not Ooh. enough people yeah. practice <clears throat> self-care. Yeah, and there's where the burnout rate, and that's why, you know, not pe- many people last in the in the social service or in the help field very long because they, they burn out. Three and a half years is average that somebody lasts, and that's why. Uh, vicarious trauma, compassion, fatigue, burnout, all those things yeah, kick in if you don't practice good self-care. Right. And I'm not a moderation person. <laughs> so I go nonstop. So I need self-care. I need to intentionally take those times off and do things. And everybody's self-care may look completely different, too. I bet you do things for yourself that I would never do. Like, Right? Like, what are some things that you do for your self-care? I'm just learning that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, turning my phone off. Not not being a not not being the emergency person, all the time, every time, having boundaries, healthy boundaries, That's man, and that one. was really hard because I was just like twenty four seven. I actually had my personal phone number on my business card. What? Oh my gosh! For a year and a half, it was like I never rested, and it was my my job. I've got to fix these people. You know, I've got to go. They need me. Right. You know, and for for once, I was needed for something that was beneficial, and so I took it to an extreme. I was the person, and I mattered. I had a purpose, and having a purpose was important for me. Uh, but to as an extreme, and then it and I just uh, I realized well with talking to my mentors and accountability partner and stuff that there had to be a boundary and so we changed that and I think now just actually just spending time in nature I like to I like to fish I love the water I like going out in the woods I like hiking Pettigene Mountain in, in Arkansas is beautiful the Buffalo River you know going back going and spending time with my grandkids they're they're a hoot you know I love them they're little boys and they are country boys man so we go out there and I just love those things right. those are things that Man, I took for granted. So, so I hear you talking about your life today and where it's at. And I think that probably feeds into the next question, which okay. is, what does recovery mean to you? <clears throat> recovery is life. Life with purpose. It's, um, it's not taking the things that were, you know, you can't change five minutes ago much less five years ago or 50 years ago or whatever. Right. So you have to be in today. And for me, today is, is a life with purpose and meaning and and just being a vessel for the Lord, you know. Um, there's a lot of other recovery is reaching other people and showing them that there's a, a, a better life, that there's things that they may have given up on that are still possible. It's not over until it's over. Right. And so, and I've seen so many people die in their addiction. 
that it really makes me intentional with my life today and reaching other people, you know, as, you know, letting them know that God loves them and they're worth saving. A lot of people don't know that they're worth saving. I was one of those people, and so I think that's really important that people get love, unconditional love, right where they're at. And then when they really know that you care, then they care what you know. I've heard that so many times, yeah. but it's really true. You yeah, know, people listen. don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes the best thing about recovery is just listening to somebody, just validating, just listening to them. That's sometimes the best thing you can do. Because until they want to put action to it, there's nothing. Right. And, I mean, I think that's one of the main concepts of, of uh, harm reduction is we meet people where they're at and we help them work on their goals. And let them know that if there's ever anything else that they need help with, by all means, come back. Absolutely. And what we find is they tend to come back because for the first time they have somebody that's met them where they're at, treated them with respect, and treated them like they have value. Instead of saying, here's what I want you to do, right. they say, you know, somebody came into their life and said, what do you want to do? Because everybody's going to say you should stop using drugs, but how about that person that says, so when's the last time you ate? Mm-hmm. You know, where are you going to sleep tonight? You know, or if we lived in a in a state where there was syringe access, somebody, you know, which is a bill that we're constantly, we didn't get it passed again, it passed through House, did not pass through Senate this year in Missouri. But, you know, getting somebody in there and saying, listen, if you're going to continue to use, I care about you and I don't want you to get HIV. I don't want you to get hep C. And if you already have it, I don't want you to share it with the people you care about. So please bring in your used syringes and we will provide sterile syringes to you. And if you ever needed help with anything else, you know, housing, food, uh, you decide you want to stop using. In fact, when's the last time that you had a hep C test? Because we're doing it tomorrow at noon. You can get tested for free and we'll feed you lunch. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And I think where you work at, you work at a place called Jesus Was Homeless, and that's kind of what they do is meet people where they're at. Absolutely. Yeah, build relationships. And that's the whole thing. We, You know, it all gets complicated. We love God, and we love others. You know, that's pretty much the two major commandments. Love God and love others as you love yourself. Right. Well, and so it's meeting people right where they're at in the middle of their mess. And then also, like, doing the motivational interviewing. You know, well, what would you like to have happen in your life? What would, you know, those kind of things. Right. And you put it back on them to get them to be part of their solution. And when people are part of their solution, as a part of you picking their solution out and telling them what to do, right. when they become part of it, they're, they're, they're more likely to be uh, continue it. Right. Um, you talked about syringes. So I want to, this horrific thing that is going on is that, so if you come into one of the pharmacies, and I'm not going to say any names, so any pharmacy, they can, they all vary. And you're in a, like a three-piece suit or, you know, you look like you're, you know, dressed pretty nice. Well, you want a bag of syringes? Well, they'll sell them to you. But if you come in and, and you look like, you know, you've been out a few days and you try to buy some syringes, you can't buy them if you don't have a prescription for insulin. And so what's happening, and these people are telling me, is that they're having to, to share needles. And uh, so... Uh, according to the Taney County Health Department, STDs are up 700%. 700? 700%. Wow. So you've got risky behavior going on. So if you're sharing needles, you're sharpening them with matchbook covers, right. you know, and when you're high, you're definitely not going to make rational decisions. You're just trying to, and so if they can't buy new ones, they're definitely going to share more of the old ones. And so then just do the, look at the, right. yeah, huge 
you know. Uh, so if anything, I would definitely like for people to know if they're coming in to buy a bag of service, sell it to them because because they're not going to stop them from getting high. Right. Are they going to do one make way it, or another? Yeah, so you can make it safer. Definitely for like if you've got the other risky behavior going on, you know. Uh, I mean, I know sharps containers have gotten broken into before. Absolutely. You know, well, so there's... you don't even know who used those syringes, and yet people are giving somebody a sterile syringe is not going to make somebody that's never shot up start shooting up. Absolutely not. You know, but for those people who are going to shoot up, it helps them make healthier choices. Yeah, we've got a like five percent increase in Hep C and definitely HIV in uh, here in Taney County. People don't talk about it, you know. Right. And I've made a really good working relationship with people at APO, so I've got resources to send them to. We have free Hep C treatments at a couple of different places here in town too, so people can actually move, you know, past that. Right. Um, yeah. And are you able to give out, do you have Narcan to give out there? I do. I do. Okay. I have Narcan. I also have, this is crazy. So I have Narcan, but I also have the um, uh, kits that, uh, for people to bring medicine if they have something oh, to dispose right. of. Those. So this is crazy. So this girl came in at one time, you know, in a battered relationship, you know, but it was, you know, drug related, you know, all this stuff right. that goes on. And she needed Narcan, so I gave her a little Narcan. Or the little kits, they're in little bags. So, gave her that. Well, about a month later, she came back, you know, uh, all bruised up, and she said, "So, I can't do this anymore. Can you get me into a shelter? I want treatment too, like long-term treatment." Right. So we got her uh, into the Harmony House, and uh, she came back and she said, "So I just want you to know, I'm three days clean. Here's my Subutex. Can you get rid of this?" That was a full circle moment. Right. Like from the time whenever I gave her the Narcan to the time she, you know, that that don't usually happen, but that just showed me the circle of when you really love and you care and you... She trusted like, you. Yeah. That's it. Building relationships. Yeah. Chad Sabora... Not being, not being fake with people. Chad Sabora runs a uh, syringe access program in St. Louis, and he always says, and I repeat it all the time, I steal it from him, but I try to give him credit. He says it's not about the syringe, it's about the human connection. Absolutely. You know, and that's exactly what it sounds like you're talking about. So speaking of human connections and some of those things that might be uh, an impetus or uh, for somebody's recovery, what were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? Community, building a strong, well, so <clears throat> when I was in treatment, they told me, they told me, and then I went to jobs for life, that was that Jesus was homeless. And two people told me the same thing. You can change the world. Well, I took it literally, and I believed them, and so I started. I didn't want to leave Carol Jones because Taney County, I was never going to stay high, I mean, clean in Taney County. I didn't think it was possible. There's nothing down there. Right. Well, so there was this little voice that said, so go start it. So start, so go down there and, and be that. I'd never had a connection with women, for one, that was healthy. I hated all right. women. You know, because women are just that way, well, for me, the ones... I, Jealous, bitterness, you know, the whole nine yards. So I found a healthy friendship down there. But then when I came down here, we started, now we've got women groups. Uh, probation and parole actually started Women's Circle, which is with offenders and probation officers to build relationships and to find out that we're both, all just women. So I learned how to have healthy relationships and started building on that. And um, so I think community, community support, um, accountability partner, uh, sponsors, whatever, those things. 
and just uh man i was just tired and and when i think about it now man it's a lot of work to stay high you know it is oh my gosh and it's like, man, I'm not even looking. I drove looking in the rearview mirror. I hit a light pole one time looking in the rearview mirror because I thought they were chasing me. You know what I'm saying? So it's just stupid things like right. that. It's like, really, life is so much simpler. And, and when I really start looking at all the things, like the criminal thinking part, you know, like um, the chaos, being addicted to chaos and drama and all that and started, you know, fearless moral inventory. You know, like CR has a 26, it's 26 to 52 weeks when right. you do that real deep. And that's like just the iceberg really patterns start to, you start seeing patterns. And if you do it over, you'll see even more patterns. Right. And so I think it's just, um, man, being, being brave enough to look inside yourself with an honest scope and, uh, and being humble enough to let God remove those things. So recovery to me is peace. Okay. So in early recovery, what helps you maintain your sobriety the most? Is there one thing that you would be like, this is the thing that really helped me stay sober in the very beginning? Consequences. But I, uh, yeah. So if, if I didn't, well, it was consequences, but it was also if I do go to prison the rest of my life, I don't want to be this person. I want to learn how to be a different person. When I first found out that it was possible, you know, at Carol Jones, you know, I found out all kinds of things. And so when I found out that that whole realm of, of possibility was open, I didn't want to be the person I had been. I wanted to be a better person. And then the community, um, accountability, um, and then just, um, I don't know, it's just the right thing. It just, I was just ready. I was just really tired. Right really tired I think I hear that a lot and I remember that and you're never too old to get recovery I thought I was too old I thought you know what kind of life can I have and man I can tell you in the last four years I've done more in my life than I could have ever dreamed possible the life I have now I would have even prayed for because I would it would have been too good for what I would have prayed for you mean like, no I, I feel that sometimes <laughs> I'm like who am I that, you know, some of the really cool things that, that, I, that I've gotten to do and um, some of the places I've been asked to go and speak, I'm like, who am I to go into that place? Because sometimes I still remember the person I used to be. Yeah. And I'm glad that I have people around me that will, A, they keep me humble. Because my head ever gets too big, I know for a fact that they will huh. deflate it. But they also remind me, well, why shouldn't you look at where you are today compared to where you used to be? You know, why not you? Yeah, and the differences that you make. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you saved somebody's life recently. <laughs> yeah, you take the Norcan, you never think you're going to use it. And then it was just like, it was just like, psh, you just go into mode, you know? That's awesome. Don't do CPR. <laughs> Rescue breathing only. I'm glad that you remembered that. <laughs> Don't push your chest. <laughs> so when I taught that, it, it, it ingrained it, huh? Absolutely. Don't do CPR. No, it's like crazy. Why? I said, just rescue, breathe. I'll be right back. <laughs> Is there one thing you do every day to help you maintain your recovery? I start every day uh, on my knees. I pray every day. I can't. He can't. I'm going to let him. I surrender myself to him every day. God, let my hands be your hands. And my eyes be your eyes. Put a coal in front of my mouth that if it's not life-giving, if it's not necessary, if it's not uplifting, that I don't say it. And give me ears to hear what they're not saying. Let me handle these people the way you would. 
let me treat them with the kindness and, and, and the respect and the, and the love that you would, but also let me have your firmness too, Lord, to, to know when I'm enabling instead of empowering. Every day on my knees. The third step prayer, I still say it. God, offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. Right. Deliver me of the bondage of self. Take away my difficulties that victory over them can bear witness to people I can help. Of bear witness to your, of your love, your way, your power and your way of life. May I do your will today. I can tell you're a celebrate recovery person and not a, a, a secular 12-step because their third <laughs> step prayer is very different. <laughs> well, Guide me in my recovery. Show me how to live clean. You know, wow. um, I don't want to live my life clean. Clean just means I'm abstinent. I want so much more than abstinence in my life. You know, that's why I love recovery over being clean. Clean just says, oh, I'm not using today. And I can be clean and still be miserable. Yeah, no, they, they, that, that, that doesn't last very long either. If I'm going to be miserable, I might as well just be right. high. Yeah. And, and I love that there's so many different programs out there that people find their recovery through. That's true. There's not one way. But this, God was my way. Right. Jesus is my way. He is my power. Yeah. So what is it that keeps you from returning back to those old behaviors? Oh, my gosh. Every day I see me come through the door. I see that brokenness like I would never. I, I don't ever want to be that. I don't know. So your job. Is my that job. Saying? Absolutely. Seeing I have those purpose. people that remind you. Every of- day through the door comes a part of me one, one time or another. You know, and I especially have a passion for women and children. You know, I lost all my kids because there was nowhere to go. You know, and a lot of times now, women, until they get thrown in jail and the kids go to DFS, there's not even, they're not going to get treatment. Right. They go into the same bad relationships where horrific things happen to them and their kids or both. And, and, and then it's not, it, it, it's a huge, uh, it could be prevented, you know. Right. Yeah, I think that there's definitely not enough focus. I think a lot of what we do is wrong. Even in treatment, I feel like there's a lot of stuff we're missing. Um, I wish we used more evidence-based treatment. I wish we uh, used more peer support. I wish we met people where they were at better. I wish that we had more peers empowered to do motivational interviewing and work with people and go out and do street outreach and in-home services. Where Because a lot of people, they're not going to come into treatment. No. You know, I mean, They don't have insurance, for one, and there's only so many free beds available but even if they did there's a lot of people that just aren't going to go so if we could have somebody going and meeting with them and reaching out to them in the community i think it would go a long ways too absolutely so so they talk about the gifts of recovery what's changed in your life since you you stepped into recovery Uh, a true peace happiness purpose um love Huge. Um, I have a purpose, and I'm living in that purpose. Like, I never, you know, you always wonder, well, what am I here for? Well, I'm, I know that I am walking in what he made me to do. How awesome is that to know what you're here for? There's uh, this concept, and I did a, uh, a podcast on it. And first, uh, I talked about knowing your why. And your why is where what the world needs, what you love, and what you're good at meat but then they have this uh japanese concept that that's called ikigai or a reason for being 
And literally what they found is if you can take your why, what you love, what you're good at, and what you need, and that you can get paid to do that, <laughs> they're like, that's that sweet spot that everybody's looking for. In Japan, they've actually found that it leads to people living a longer life. So that's what I do. I don't work. I'm living on my divine assignment. I never work a day in your life. If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, I tell people... Now, I say I do work, but I tell people that I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. Sometimes I have to pinch myself because I'm like, I get paid to do what I was doing for free. Absolutely. Before. Right. You know, I mean, this is what I used to do in my spare time. And now all of a sudden somebody's come up and said, hey, we like what you do. And we think you can help us and help people in the state. So we're going to pay you to do what you do now and go around the state. And I was like, really? You know, not to mention that uh, some of the, a lot of trainings and stuff too, but I mean, just to get paid to talk about recovery, I think is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given. So when you've been delivered from such um, bondage into a life that's so free and peaceful, especially if you've like, I wasn't just on the basement of hell. I dug a hole down there. That's how far down I was. And for to have the life I have now, oh my gosh, when, when you've been forgiven and given so much back, I can't help but go want to tell the world, man, let me tell you about this peace that you can have now. A life that's possible. Any dream that you ever had, you can do it. You can be it. And so I try to be a bridge between the brokenness and the people still in, you know, struggling right. with resources. And then also just in, in our town with poverty and, and a way out. Like... You know what I'm saying? Like a voice for people that don't have one. Like people that are abused, like little kids and women who are trafficked and like all kinds of stuff. I've seen, you know, the horrors come through. But what I do with those is I connect it with Ways Out. Right. And so that makes... So you're an advocate. A natural And a resource broker. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's kind of what you do. It is. You know, you advocate, you give a voice to those who don't believe they have a voice or haven't figured out how to use their voice yet. And then you connect them to the resources that are going to help get them to a better place. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love them until they can love themselves or know that they're lovable. So you're dealing hope. I am. So just like I always say, going <laughs> from dealing dope to dealing hope. It's an amazing place. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but, but that is what we do. I mean, to know that somebody out there cares about you when you don't care about yourself and to know that somebody can see a future for you when all you can see is the same thing over and over and over again is huge. And everybody's story has somebody, a group of folks that only they can reach. Like I always tell them, you're alive. And when you get, you know, all this going, there's going to be a whole group of folks that your story and your life will touch and change. We all have people assigned to us that our story and our recovery can give them hope and encouragement and, and, and even just the thought of possibility of something different. That's awesome. Yeah, I've always said that uh, we have a lot of us have very similar stories, but each one of us has one or two things that are specific or peculiar about our story that most people don't have. And it's why I, I believe I do what I do is because I want to reach people because you have something in your story. That's why I want to share your story because there's unique things in your story that might impact somebody listening that my story wouldn't because they're going to be oh, well, wait a minute. She did this. Well, so did I. And I've never known anybody who did what I did who's gotten better. 
Uh, so one thing I know is that your secrets keep you sick. And so when I found that you're only sick as your deepest secret, I wasn't letting that stuff out, man. I didn't want to get high again. Right. So, you know, I was like, well, I was, can without shame tell people well, I had a baby on crack. You know, I was a prostitute in Little Rock. I, you know, I worked for, you know, ungodly people doing ungodly things for ungodly reasons for a long time with no shame out there. So I'm not going to let that hinder my recovery because right. guess what god's saving grace was good for me recovery has changed me you know there's i'm not gonna let anything don't tell that why not tell that that is like you were saying that thing right there like that i had a baby on crack that i carried you know used during my whole pregnancy well how could you do that well i don't know i was sick i was on drugs right you know i wasn't thinking I was I a, you know i that drug drove me you know that's all i thought about you know, all rational thinking and, and, and anything normal goes because it affects your frontal lobe. Right. That's the first thing that goes. You know, it's a it's a it's a twofold, physical and mental. I've always told people it was really easy for me, me to be atheist and agnostic back in my addiction because I made drugs my God. They were the center of anything and everything that I did. Absolutely. You know, if there were wasn't drugs or money involved or maybe sex. Right. Um, I wasn't going to be there. I'm like, why am I here? I, I always say I didn't make friends. I took hostages. I mean, everybody in my life had a purpose. Absolutely. So so if you could travel back in time, like Wayne's World, right? We're going to go back <laughs> in time. World. Wayne's World. Or maybe 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean. <laughs> I don't know. But if you go back in time and uh, talk to yourself the day before you used, what would you say to yourself? Or do you think there would be anything you could say to yourself that would matter? The day before I used. I think that there was compounded traumas. And I think it took everything it took to get to me to be the person that I am today. And I think that God don't waste anything. My mess is a message. And sometimes I just think that it's justified through him because there's so many other people out there that need to know that. I don't think, I hate that I hate that I hurt so many people, but I think it took everything it took for me to get to where I am today because every mistake and every wrong and every hurt and every, every old, like waking up with, you know, come conscious, I'm in a motel, I, I, motel room. Right. All those things. It took all those things to develop me to who I am now to have the heart that I have for people. Like, I truly can love people right where they are in the middle of everything. And that's because I've been most of those people at one point in my life. Not everybody has the capacity to love unconditionally. And I'm grateful that I have that heart. I wouldn't, I'd like to say I'd change things. I wish that my hurt would would not have been so much to some people that I cared about, but I think it took everything it took to get me where I'm at today. I love that. I, I, and once again, for listeners, they hear me say a lot of the same things over and over again because they're the things that stand out to me, but I, if I could go back and change anything about my past, I'd do everything the same but learn how to play guitar because I think it'd be a lot cooler if I could play guitar, you know. (laughs) But, I mean, honestly, I look in the mirror today, and I like the person looking back, and I know that I'm blessed with an amazing wife, uh, beautiful kids, 
um, or beautiful wife, amazing kids. They're all beautiful and amazing. But anyway, um, and I have a career today that I love and I have the trust of people and and I had to go through every single thing I ever went through to have the life I had today. If one thing would have changed, I might not have met my wife. I might not have my kids. I, you know, I might not have the respect of my family. I can't know if I could go back and change one thing, if that might be the, the domino I pulled that made everything else fall down. Right. So why would I live with regret when I know that what I do today makes a difference? Absolutely. You know, if you can look in the mirror and like that person looking back, you had to have gone through everything you did to be that person. That's awesome. I love it. So as we end this, is there one thought or message that you would like to kind of put out there for the people that are listening? I would say don't don't give up and, and don't let mistakes, um, don't let a relapse put you in a downward spiral. Learn from everything and know that you're worth saving and that there is a, there is a better life and there's people that care. And sometimes it's just going to enough different places to find those people. But um, take one of those foxhole prayers. Um, even if it's just, you know, I can't, God help me. Or if it's just whatever. There, it'll send people, you know. Right. Um, you're worth saving. And somebody loves you. And that's a mic drop moment right there. Alrighty then. So thank you very much yep. for sitting here and talking to me and getting your uh, answering some of those questions. People have said that they wanted to hear answered and sending out a positive message of recovery. And for those listeners, thank you very much for listening. I hope that hearing this helped you as much as hearing it during the interview helps me. You know, I'm amazed that at how my my recovery is reinforced and my mission is feels so much so worthwhile whenever i get an opportunity to sit and talk to people that are living amazing lives thank you so thanks carla and everybody else i hope you have an amazing week and i will talk to you guys next week in closing i just want to thank you for listening to the podcast please join us every week for new episodes if you want to connect with us further if you have any questions topics you'd like to hear in the future or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network.